How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is written Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages step down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame the cross has spoken i am forgiven the king of kings calls me his own beautiful savior I'm yours forever, Jesus Christ, my living hope. And hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. And hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. And hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. And hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me, and you have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Because Jesus, yours, is the victory. And 
hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. And hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. And you have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Amen. Thank you, Levi. Praise the Lord. He, he was victorious over the grave, conquered death and sin for us. I praise the Lord for that. And I know He lives. He lives within my heart. Are you glad you're saved this morning? Amen. Amen. Glad you're here today. And I want you to take your Bible, if you would, turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Continuing on today at looking... A series here that we've based out of Matthew 5 and verses 2 through 11, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus Christ preached, perhaps the greatest sermon ever preached, and what a wonderful message that it is. And we've been looking at the theme of how to live a life that God can bless. God wants to bless our life, and how many of you all want God to bless your life? Amen. Amen. I think every one of us do. We all desire that, something that we'd like to have in our life. And we know what type of life that God will bless because Jesus tells us here in the Scripture, point blank, nine different times in these ten verses about how to receive a a blessing from God, how to have a blessed life. He tells us what we need to do and how we can receive that. Our problem is this, that we want a blessing by God, but we don't want to follow the way to receive the blessing oftentimes. Humanly speaking, I'm talking about. I'm not trying to indict an individual as I'm looking at you right now, but oftentimes we want a blessing from God, but we don't want to do what God says you have to do in order to be blessed. And as a result of that, we don't receive the blessings the way that God wants to bless us. Do you realize that God wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed? God wants to. God wants you to live a blessed life. You can uh, interchange the word blessed, by the way, with happy. And having a happy life. Living a life where there's true happiness. I'm not talking about man-made happiness. I'm not talking about something derived by the pleasures of this world. I'm talking about something that is actual happiness that goes right down to the very soul of a man. And having a life that is blessed by God is truly where we can truly be happy living in this life. And God wants us to be blessed. Once again, the problem is not that we don't want to receive a blessing. It's because we're not willing to do, oftentimes, what God says we must do in order for Him to bless us. We want to cut our own path. We want to do what we want to do. We want to do it our way. And then I want to say to God, God, I want you to bless me. You go through the week, you do it your own way, you do it your own will, you do it in your own timing, you do whatever you want to do, you say, this is the path that I'm on, and you say, God, I want you to bless me. The problem is, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. You see, I want to tell you this morning in no uncertain terms that blessings don't work 
that way. If you don't follow God's plan for your life, plan for receiving blessings, then you don't receive the blessings that God wants to give to you. It's a choice we've got to make. And so here this morning in this passage of Scripture, the very first beatitude, verse number 3, the very first one that Jesus gives here is He's gathering all those together on the mount. He's preaching to them. And of course, this message is for us as well. He sets the foundation as to what is needed to live a life that God will bless. And there in verse number 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so the key to understand what poor in spirit means is the key to laying the foundation of a life that God is going to bless. Now why do I say that? Because Jesus says that if you don't have this poor in spirit, then you are not going to get to the kingdom of heaven. It's that simple. Very plain and simple. If you're not going to the kingdom of heaven, you're not going to be able to possess the other characteristics that Jesus says that God is going to bless. All of these after this are contingent upon the very first one. And so what is poor in spirit? To be poor in spirit is to recognize your utter spiritual bankruptcy without God. It's to recognize your condition without God, your utter spiritual bankruptcy. It's understanding that you have absolutely nothing of worth to offer God. Nothing. Being poor in spirit is admitting that because of your sin. And yes, we're all sinners. But because of our sin, we are completely destitute spiritually and can do nothing to deliver ourselves from the dire situation that we find ourselves in because of our sin. It's coming to a place in your life of being humble before God, having humility. Has there been a day and a time in your life when you came to the place when you realized that you could not earn your way to heaven? You couldn't be good enough to go to heaven? You couldn't be religious enough to go to heaven? When you came to the place and you realized that God is holy, that you are a sinner, that God is sinless, that you have nothing but sin on your account, there's no good works that you've done. There's none righteous, no, not one. That God is right all the time. That God is righteous, but you're not. And you came to the place of realizing that the penalty of sin is death. And you realized before God that you were a sinner and you needed a Savior. And you humbled yourself before God. You see, until that's taken care of in your life, you can't receive the rest of the blessings that God wants to bless you with. You've got to start with that. And so then does this verse just apply to salvation? Is it just talking about a person that's lost? No, it's not. There's a connection. A continuation. Once a person gets saved, they need to realize that they are saved only by God's grace. You know the difference between a lost person that's lost and on the way to hell and a person that's saved and on the way to heaven? The only difference is one is a sinner that's been saved by God's grace. It's not because of the works of righteousness that we have done. We need to remember that and be humble. And so today, I want for us to look at the obstacles that stand in the way of our being humble before God. There are obstacles that keep us from being poor in spirit and humbling ourselves before God. And I want us to begin reading these verses once again. Would you please stand with me? We're in Matthew chapter 5. 
Look at verse number 2, Matthew chapter 5, verse number 2 is where we'll start here in a moment. Notice if you would, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. I want to focus in there to this morning on verse number 3. Look at it again. Christ says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for who You are. That You are our God. You are holy. You are perfect in every way. Lord, we fall short of Your glory. No matter how good we try to be physically, in our own strength, Lord, we fall short of Your glory. We can never be good enough. And Lord, I pray that today, that there's somebody that's here today that has never trusted in You as their Savior, Lord, that they would humble themselves before You and trust in You today. Lord, I pray for those who have trusted in You as their Savior, Lord, that we would humble ourselves and remember that we are not worthy of that. It's not because of the good things that we do. We find favor with You. Lord, that we would allow for Christ truly to live within us and that You would be seen in our life. We die to ourself, alive in You. Lord, that we would humble ourselves before You, a God that is, is worthy of our humility, worthy of us bowing before You, falling prostrate before You, Lord, and, and giving You the honor and glory that is due unto Your name. Lord, may we do that with our life, not just with our words and our mouth. May You be glorified, Lord. Lord, challenge our hearts. Help us to see. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Challenge our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And this morning, I want to begin with just challenging you with the thought of, of why we don't want to be poor in spirit, or why we don't want Jesus to define for us what are the ways to receive true blessings. And the first way I believe is why we don't want Him to do that is because we want to set our own requirements for true blessings and then we want to get Jesus to rubber stamp His approval on our way, on the path that we're on. We want to set our own requirements for true blessings. We want to tell God, this is what we're going to do and God, I want you to bless it. So here's the question though. Who or what gives us the right to set the requirements for true blessings? Who or what gives you the right to set any requirements for why you should be blessed or not be blessed? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, the Apostle Paul he tells Timothy there, he says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. You see that word there, blessed God? 
That's the exact same word that we find here in the Beatitudes that we just talked about being blessed, being blessed nine times and ten verses. That word blessed is used. It's the exact same Greek word, the same word. That word there describes, though, God as being the blessed God. And you know what that tells me? It tells me the blessings come from the blesser, and so he sets the rules. All right? The blessings that we want in our life, they come from the blesser, and therefore he is the one that sets the rules for who gets the blessing. Not me. Not my mama, not my daddy. It's God. It is God that determines how you're blessed, why you're blessed. And so, listen, it's not my decision. It's not my game. It's, it's not my rules. God is the blesser. God is the author of life, by the way. God is the one that created every one of us. He tells us what the ways to receive blessings are and what the ways to receive judgment are. I mean, you can argue it if you want, but it's not going to change anything. We can try to convince ourselves that, hey, I'm all right, everything's good, God bless me, but unless you're doing it God's way, God is not going to bless you. You're not going to have a happy life. You see, we have to remember it's not in our hands. It's in God's hands. God is going to determine. And listen, you know why it's not in our hands? Because even our best works, the Bible says, are filthy rags. If it was up to me, I could say, hey, I should be blessed for this, this, and this. And if I use my own way and my own understanding, by the way, man's way leads to destruction, the Bible says. Man's way leads to death, the Bible says. And my best works, no matter how good I try to be, no matter how good I try to perform in this life, they're nothing but filthy rags, if that's all it is of me doing it. Filthy rags. And, you know, you go back to before salvation, there's, you know, there's a lot of people today who have never trusted in Christ as their personal Savior because they want to tell God how they're going to get to heaven, how they're going to be blessed, how they're going to be a Christian, how they are a child of God. God, I'm going to tell you, listen now, I go to this church and I'm religious, therefore, you're going to bless me. That's not what God says. God, I've been baptized. As, even as an infant, my parents, they had me sprinkled with water. And God, I'm going to heaven one day. That's not how it works. You can't make that decision. You know why you can't make the decision? Because that's not what God said in His Word. It, you have to come to the place where you realize that, say, God is the one that created everything. God is the one that's the blesser. God is the one that will give you everlasting life. God is the one that paid for your everlasting life. And God offers it to you. You have to come to a place of absolute, of, of bowing before God and saying, God, I will do it your way not my way. It's humbling yourself before God. Every one of us, we had to do that to be saved. If you're a child of God today, you only became a child of God because you humbled yourself before God. You acknowledged the fact that you were a sinner. You believed that you deserved to die and go to hell according to the word of God. You knew you fall short of God's glory because God is absolute perfect. You knew that you've sinned because there's none righteous, no, not one. You agreed with that. And you believe that Jesus died on Calvary's cross, not for everybody else's sin alone, but for your sin too. And you repented. You turned away from that high, haughty spirit, that prideful man, that man that tried to do it your way and tell God you're going to be blessed, that religious man. You turned away from that and you said, God, I need salvation. God, please forgive me. I ask you, Lord, please come into my life, come into my heart. I remember when I did that. You know what he did? He came within my heart. He forgave me of my sin. 
He took up residence within me. It was Christ in me. You know, he's never left me since then. He's right there, the same place he's always been since I got saved. And the place that, listen, I'll never be out of God's love. I'll never be separated from God. I'll never lose that relationship because of what God has done. You've got to come to that place where you're poor in spirit and understanding you need a Savior. You've got to come to that place to be saved. Unfortunately, after we get saved, sometimes we find ourselves slipping back into some of the old ways. Back to the old, same old thing that we, maybe you did before you got saved. That people, you know, today we tell people, listen, the only way to heaven to get blessed by God is, the only way to receive the blessing of eternal life is by trusting in Christ as your Savior. Now let me ask you, do you all believe that the only way to be blessed with eternal life is by trusting in Christ as your Savior? Would you say amen? amen? And then the only way to be blessed in your Christian life is by being obedient to what God tells you to do. You have to continue to be poor in spirit and serving him and doing what he says to do and being obedient to be blessed by him. And I'm talking about these blessings that are, there are, there are some things you're going to get just because you're a child of God. But I'm talking specifically about living a happy Christian life. We need to obey what God tells us to do. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, Paul said this, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Once again, you have to come to a place of trusting in Christ as your Savior to receive the blessed hope, to receive the blessing of knowing that you're on your way to heaven. Looking for that, though, after you get saved. You know, I believe if the Lord were to come back and some days in our life we'd be ashamed at His appearing. If the Lord were to come back at that moment that we're not doing it God's way, we're doing it my way. We're wanting God to bless us, and yet we know down deep inside that we're not doing it the way we're supposed to. And listen, we're not looking for the Lord to return today. We've got too many things we're doing. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We have to be poor in spirit. We have to humble ourselves. Secondly, we don't want Jesus to tell us that we need to be poor in spirit because that's going to require us to look deep into our souls. And the truth be told, we much rather would like to look at others and compare ourselves to others, to them, rather than looking in our inward self. We don't want them to tell us that we have to be poor in spirit. I'd rather look at others and tell them they should be poor in spirit. I'd rather look at what they're doing and judge them. You know, there's a great example of this. I want you to take your Bible. Turn over, if you would, to Luke chapter 18. Go over to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Many of you are familiar with this passage of Scripture. I'm sure we've looked at it often, but I want to put it in the context of what we're talking about, being poor in spirit this morning. And notice what Jesus Christ said here in Luke chapter 18, verse number 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were, what's the next word? Righteous. They're trusting in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, and the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. What's a publican? Do you remember? Tax collector. That would have been one of the most reviled people in that day. Gathering up taxes from your own people to give the Roman government. I'm going to talk about a terrible person. That's even worse than the IRS. Hey, at least you're, you're part of the government that they're collecting taxes for. In that day, 
very rare that you were even a, a citizen of a Roman citizen. They were, they were coming and taking, I mean, way beyond what we, they take today. This guy was horrible. He'd take a bunch of money and keep it. We know examples. Anybody want to list a couple of tax collectors in the Bible? Do you remember who they are? Matthew and Zacchaeus. Good. And here he is. Here's this Pharisee looking over at this public. And now let's keep reading. Look at verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Not to God, but with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Huh. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes up to heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You see this story right here, and if we're not careful, we could find ourselves being just like this Pharisee. Looking at other people and saying, you know what, God's going to bless me because I am so much better than that. And praying within ourselves. You wonder why the prayers bounce off the ceiling. Maybe it's because we think so highly of ourselves. We don't even need God, really. Yet this publican, this tax collector, he knew who he was. He looked to his inner self. He knew he wasn't worthy. He cried out to God in prayer. And Jesus said, this man was justified. His sins were forgiven. Pharisee, all he was looking at was others, looking outward, never looking inward. If he'd looked inward, he just saw what Christ said, death. Why did sepulcher? Nothing's real. Something's wrong. Want to live like a Pharisee? That's what's living like a Pharisee is. I got all the outside appearance. Everything looks fine. You're going through and you're making sure everything is just right. You're going through all the motions, yet way down deep inside, it's nothing but death. And if it's not death and you're a child of God, you've gotten to the place where you become the judge, jury, and executioner of every other Christian and you're so high and mighty and everybody else has got it wrong. God forbid that we would be that way. Remember what Christ said in Matthew 7, 5. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. I mean, I know what a beam is, but do you know what a moat is? It's not a castle that's got a moat around it. A moat is a slight imperfection inside, perhaps like a cotton fabric, the little piece of seed. And we're talking a little piece of seed that would make the fabric not as valuable if it was pure. And we're talking a speck. You know what a beam is, and we don't have to describe that, but a moat is this little teeny thing. And here you are, you're pointing that out in the other person's eye. And, oh, look at that, look at that. Meanwhile, you got this great big beam in your eye. Hypocrite. Get things right with yourself. Stop worrying so much about others. Now, what do we like to do, though? We like to compare ourselves to others. Huh. It's a toss-up. You know, I could compare myself to Big E back there and Big Bill out there, and I'd be feeling pretty good. (laughs) 
I mean, look at these guys. I'm much better than they are. You know, I'm just having fun now. We can find anybody we want to try to say we're better than them, but how about comparing yourself to the one that truly matters? How about putting yourself next to Jesus Christ? Where are you standing? Tell you what, you get yourself next to Jesus Christ and you get real close, you won't be standing. Fall on your knees before him. Knowledge who he is. His holiness. How awesome he is and how great and powerful he is and how small and insignificant we really are. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about who you are because you are something, not because of who you say you are. You're something because who God says you are. And you are blessed because God blesses you, not because of what you do. You have to understand that. We compare ourselves to other people. Stop looking at other people. It doesn't matter who it is. It might be the person that hurts you so bad. It doesn't matter. Get your eyes on yourself. Get your eyes on God. Pray for them then. Pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you, the Bible says. Instead, what do we want to do? God, I'm all right. I'm good. I'm better than they are. God, you must be going to bless me because I certainly am better than that person. We need to come to the place where we realize that we are spiritually bankrupt aside from God. I can't do righteousness aside from God. I cannot do good aside from God. I'm nothing aside from God. I have no life aside from God. I'll have no peace aside from God. I'm helpless to do anything in my life. God can do something. God wants to do something in your life. God wants to work in your life. You see, God wants to take that bankrupt spiritual person. He wants to make you somebody that, by by the way, at the very beginning, is becoming a child of God, making you alive spiritually, making you part of the kingdom of heaven. And, And listen, when you've trusted in Him as your Savior, and then He wants to bless you along the way, He doesn't want you going back like it was before you got saved. He doesn't want you living your life as though there is no God. He doesn't want you living your life and saying, I'm going to do this, and you're going to bless me, God. And by the way, I'm going to look at them and judge them, but I'm okay. What he wants us to do is to realize that we must surrender to him. And realize just how much we are a needy people. We need him. We have pride. There's pride that sends people to hell. And all of us would say, don't do it. Don't do it. Hey, but there's a lot of pride in Christians' life that have been born again. Now they got pride and as a result of it, think of the blessings that are missed because of it. I've seen it in my life. Times I can look back and the pride that got in the way, and as a result, I did not receive the blessing that God wanted to bless me with, and I had to be repentance. I had to come to the end of myself. I had to die to myself. I had to remember that, yes, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, not I, but I live now in Christ. There's a change that takes place. I crucified. By the way, that crucified with Christ, it was a one-time transaction that happened at the very moment of salvation. It was a done deal. Now I'm supposed to live in Christ, not in my own strength and my own good works. I'm to humble myself. You see, 
my heart. There's a throne room on my heart. There's a seat that somebody's going to sit on that's going to be Lord and make the decisions of what I'm going to do. And there's so many Christians today that they, they trusted in Christ as their Savior, but maybe for a time He was Lord, but now He does not have that place on their heart. He does not sit on the throne of their heart. Now they're good. They're being able to live the Christian life and say, hey, I'm good, I'm good, I'm fine. Look at what all I'm doing. I'm better than them. Meanwhile, God can't bless them the way they should. Meanwhile, No true happiness or joy. Brokenness. Lack of power. No blessings. Thirdly, we don't want Jesus to tell us that we need to be poor in spirit because that implies that you and I are desperate for God. We'd rather have people think that we got it all together. We don't want to look desperate. We don't want people to just think everything is perfectly fine. We don't want to let on that there's a problem. We don't want to let on that we need God. We're good. You know what's so sad? In my life, I have seen very few times. Now listen. I've seen very few times when people were desperate for God. Very few times where people were so desperate for God that you'd have a service when the Word of God was preached and you'd have somebody that would come down the aisle with tears running down their face, would get down on the altar before God and cry out to God in desperation knowing that they needed God. Desperate for God. You say, yes, we need to see people get saved that way. Oh, we need saved people to be that way. If we're ever going to see people that need to be saved, get like that. Let me say it again. We need God's people to get desperate for God and realize we're not going to see people get saved if we don't get on our face before God and get desperate for God and say, God, I need you. We're never going to see it. People get all excited about football games and basketball games. They get desperate at all kinds of things. Let the preacher do it. He's being too loud. I don't care what you say. We need to be desperate for God. Somebody's got to get excited and get desperate for God. People don't cry over sinners anymore. People don't beg God for a miracle anymore. People are not desperate for God. And even this is like I can see it shutting off. You guys, boop. Too much, preacher. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. We desperately need God. I can't live today without God. Have we, have we gotten that in our minds yet, in our hearts? I couldn't earn my way to heaven without God. I can't be the preacher that God wants me to be without God. I can't be the husband that God wants me to be without His power in my life. You can't be a wife, ladies. You can't be a parent that God wants you to be. We can't be what God wants us to be without God. Are we desperate for Him? You ever been desperate for anything in your life? There's things I've been desperate for that I shouldn't have been. But are we desperate for God? I mean, what is it that we're going to accomplish in this life that's going to account for anything without the power of God in our life? 
We understand it. We'll tell, hey, we'll tell somebody, listen, you have to go to God to get saved. There's no way you're going to get to heaven with your own strength and own power. And then we get saved, and then we check that out right there. And we try to live the Christian life without the power of God, not realizing how desperate we really are. Does God see our desperation and our need? Or does he see the Pharisee? We pray within ourselves. We live how we decide we're going to live. And we say, God, you need to bless me. And then you get angry because God doesn't. Something's wrong. You see, we want people to think we're holding it all together and everything's good. God will speak to your heart. You won't even respond because you're afraid somebody's going to think something bad of you. I've been struggling this last month. We've got a revival planned. I've been struggling with God to cancel that revival. I've got so many people say I'm not going to be there. I got people say that, you know what, I might be there. God, maybe we shouldn't have revival. Maybe we should postpone it. I've been struggling with God about this. I'm being honest with you. I need to get in the Word of God and start reading and, and praying and saying, God, I need you to guide me. And God struck my heart. And if you want revival, you don't cancel revival, you don't postpone revival, you pray harder. We need to be desperate for God. We need revival in this place. We need revival in our hearts. Who cares what other people think? Imagine what God could do if we were on fire for God and we weren't doing it in our own strength. We had Christ in us and we were allowing Him to be seen and empowering us. And we begged God that God would send revival. Oh, that men would get on their knees before God and cry out to God in desperation. That ladies would get on their knees. That teenagers would realize, listen, my life is not going to mean a whole lot unless I have God in my life. And in desperation, cry out and say, God, use my life for your glory. We want to be blessed of God when you get poor in spirit. We need to humble ourselves and bow before Him cry out to him ask him to send revival ask him to use us ask him to empower us ask him to use us to see souls saved let's all stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed as we pray Lord we come desperately to you Lord we need your help Lord we need revival We need to stop worrying about what other people think. We need to stop looking at ourselves like we're something. We got it all together. Lord, we need you. We don't have it all together. We need your help. We needed it for salvation. And Lord, we need it every day. We need it in this church. We need it for this year. Lord, we desperately need you. With our heads bowed, eyes closed this morning. Do you know Christ as your Savior? You've been born again, saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. If you've been born again, would you raise your hand up? Say, yes, I know I'm going to heaven. I've been born again. God bless me. Put your hands down. Christian, 
Do you need God? What do you want to see happen? What do you want to see that God's going to do? You can't do it in your strength. You can't do it in your power. We desperately need God. We need His power. We need to die to ourselves. We need to get out of the way. Get rid of the pride. Cry out to God and ask. Ask God to bless. Ask God to use you. It might be that God has spoken to your heart. There's things in your life that you need to get rid of. Right at the very top, it might be pride. I invite you this morning to come to this altar and pray and ask God to bless. Ask God to work in hearts. Ask God to send revival. What are we desperate for? Say, I'm not desperate. There's something wrong then. We are desperately in need of God every day, every moment. You're here this morning. You've never trusted in Christ as your Savior. Listen, there's no hope in your good works. There's nothing you're going to do to get you to heaven aside from trusting in Christ as your Savior. I invite you to come. If you'll come, we'll have one of our workers show you how you can be saved today. There's no hope for you. You die this day without Christ, you're not going to heaven. God loves you. Won't you come this morning and receive Him? Christian, do you cry out to God? Do you ask God to send revival in your heart? You ask God to help us to see souls saved.